High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, brains, athletes, basket cases, and criminals. Oh, and an extra special shout out to the princesses out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and there will be no party today. Because, well, well, here we are. <laughs> I want to congratulate you for being on time for this special detention edition of High School Slumber Party. You have about an hour and like ten minutes to ponder the error of your ways, i.e. not convincing John Cusack to unblock the High School Slumber Party Twitter page. If you're new to the show, John Cusack blocked us on Twitter, erroneously I might add, but he blocked us on Twitter a couple weeks ago, so I've been asking our slumber club to reach out and get this madness to stop. Hasn't happened yet. I hope everyone did the mandatory reading. The Molly Ringwald New Yorker piece. Caragail O'Regan from Wistful Thinking is back today. She was here last week for uh, part one of the Breakfast Club discussion. Today's part two. And we're going to be talking a lot about that article. So again, I really hope you read it. And I hope you listened to part one last week. That would be really egregious. I'm sure you've seen the Breakfast Club. Because again, why would you be listening to the show if you hadn't? Maybe after listening to this episode, you'll learn a little something about yourself. Maybe you'll even decide whether or not you care to return to slumber party detention. Uh, you know, I can answer that right now, sir. You know, that'd be no, no for me. Sit down, Johnson. Thank you, sir. My office is right across the hall. Any monkey business is ill-advised. Any questions? I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Hey. Don't mess with the bull, young man, or you get the horns. Eat. My. Shorts. Okay, okay, before this gets out of hand, let's get to this episode. No packing jammies this week, though. And the only thing you're telling your mother is what time to pick you up from detention, because we're not getting our party on at all. No party. Here's a cover of Don't You Forget About Me by Billy Idol, which we mentioned on today's episode, so listen for that. Enjoy, or don't enjoy, sorry, it's attention. Not supposed to enjoy it. Just think about what you did. Sorry, I'm not a very good disciplinarian.
I think the big scene, though, that, like, was that, like, vulnerable scene where they kind of, like... I think it first starts, though, with Ali Sheedy saying, like, her home life is unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> My home life is unsatisfying. <laughs> and they kind of... I don't want to say have an argument about that, but they, you know, they talk it over, and... I like how these little things seep out yeah. throughout the film. Like, again, the, the abuse with Bender eventually has that whole thing. Like, you know what my old man got me for Christmas? Like, carton of cigarettes or something like that. Stupid, worthless, no good, goddamn freeloading son of a bitch, retarded, big mouth, know-it-all asshole jerk. Got ugly, lazy, and disrespectful. Shut up, bitch! Who fucks me turkey pot pie? What about you, Dad? Fuck you. No, Dad. What about you? Fuck you! No, Dad! What about you? Fuck you! Is that for real? You want to come over sometime? That's bullshit. It's all part of your image. I don't believe a word of it. You don't believe me? No. No? Did I stutter? You believe this? Huh? It's about the size of a cigar. Do I stutter? See, this is what you get in my house when you spill paint in the garage. See, I don't think that I need to sit with you fucking dildos anymore. is that this whole thing, what I was going to mention, it pivots on virginity. Ugh, yeah. So I talked about this kind of with an American pie, and I've been kind of like, I didn't really feel that kind of pressure in high school, but it seems like in the films, it's like a huge deal. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, oftentimes, like the entire driving plot of like these films, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but when you think that these films are written by, like, older people... Oh, yeah, that's creepy as hell. <laughs> it's very creepy, because, like, you know, I, I I dabble in the in the screenwriting arts. Not that my movies are made, but I enjoy doing it. And I can't imagine writing a plot like that for teenagers now. Yeah. That'd be really gross and weird. Unless it was, like, entirely based on your experience. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's... Less creepy if you're writing something kind of autobiographical. If you're just inventing these situations for teenagers <laughs> to be in, that's real weird. That's real weird. So it's kind of bizarre. And I kind of bring that up, too, because you 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 uh, sent me an article today. And I had read excerpts of this Molly Ringwald mm-hmm. written article for The New Yorker, and I hadn't re- read the whole thing. And I read it before we did this podcast. First of all, an awesome read. Anything I've ever read from her has been pretty she's good. She's so smart. I met her at a book signing once. That's cool. 
in my hometown and she, you know, she was doing her book and she was really, really, really articulate. So, I mean, it's always nice when people are articulate, I guess. I don't know. But this New Yorker article was, again, I had kind of known the gist of it, but mm-hmm. to read it completely, that's why you should never take articles from like the snippets. <laughs> to read it completely, it was actually like an awesome read because, I mean, one of the main focuses of the article is, I guess, John Hughes. And I mean, he is the main the main focus and just kind of, uh, I, I don't know the word she uses, but it's kind of like conflicting in the way how he could be so connecting and so vulnerable, uh, understanding of what teenagers are going through. And really not too many films had done that at the time, but also have kind of a little bit of a sick mind with certain things and just like this inappropriate stuff but i but see i had read these quotes about that but then when i read more of it i like i'm i'm happy she just wasn't i mean she has a right to say off the cuff comments but she did her freaking research you know yeah i'm definitely going to link this article to all the high school summer party twitter facebook stuff because it's such a great read like when she goes into like his national lampoon days that's not very uh i don't know what the not, word i'm looking no. for is it, it's not great and it's definitely yeah. again the nicest thing i could say about it is, is dated because it's like you know we consider national lampoon to be like oh you know one of the founding cornerstones of modern comedy but it was also i, I like i just i can't come up with the words for this but just definitely inappropriate by today's standards but it should have been inappropriate by those days standards as well Mm -hmm. it just seems so sorted but one of the main things that one of the main scenes she brings up is the scene where i guess bender's under the table and there's like a crotch shot which i read this before i rewatched the movie and i was like i don't remember a crotch shot like i had no recollection of that even being in the movie yeah i didn't really remember it too much but uh yeah, she mentions that they hired an older actor because she was 15 at the time. But I feel like if you have to do that, then maybe that's not the scene you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I knew this part because I had read it before. She also mentioned how there was like a gym teacher who was supposed to be played by this attractive whatever lady. And um, there was supposed to be a topless scene that apparently she asked to be cut from the movie because it just made kind of no sense and i really don't see how that would she make sense and ellie sheedy actually uh yes and ellie sheedy which is a good call there but so on the one hand why are you writing this kind of stuff john hughes it seems yeah. a little bit uh unnecessary to say the least but on the other hand i was thinking too like at least he listened to them so i was a little not confused by this article because it seemed like he kind of had a different kind of relationship with molly ringwald mm-hmm I'm not implying anything by that, but I'm saying like where she even mentions that like he was she In was a his symbiotic niece. relationship. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. He wrote films f- for her and with her in mind. I mean, I guess that's good for her. And I, like, I'm glad he like listened to her input and stuff. But then, if you like care about this younger person, mm-hmm. why are you writing a scene like this? You know, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on this overall? Oh, God. Um, it's so complicated. And, like, I love this piece by Molly because she is so thoughtful about how complicated this stuff is. Yeah, and, like, yeah, that's a great way to put gives it. gives weight. I, 
I hesitate to use the phrase, the phrase both sides of the issue, but because I feel like there's just like so many facets of this, there's no like both sides or whatever. But um, I like copied so many quotes from that article into my notes being like, Oh, I'll read this one. No, I'll read this one. No, I'll read that. Cause like so much of it is so good. So definitely if you're listening, read it. Um, I think it, I don't know. <laughs> I know, but I, I mean, like I feel you, like, I don't know, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I don't want to hate this movie because of it. Well, so she says this, John's movies convey the anger and fear of isolation that adolescents feel and seeing that others might feel the same way is a balm for the trauma that teenagers experience. Whether that's enough to make up for the impropriety of the films is hard to say. Even criticizing them makes me feel like I'm divesting a generation of its some of its fondest memories or being ungrateful since they helped to establish my career. And yet embracing them entirely feels hypocritical. And yet, and yet... And she finishes that paragraph with an ellipsis. Like, it's almost impossible to, like, say something that, like, fully encapsulates, you know, how I feel about this, let alone somebody who was an integral part of making these movies. Yeah. Again, that's a great quote to just sum up. Um, it's, it's just it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's so complicated. I don't know what to think. I mean, I know I can, I know I can hate the Bender character and not hate the film. If that makes sense. Hate the player, don't hate the game, or is it the other way around? Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess one would be saying not to hate the player because they'd imply they were the player. But hey, guys out there, if you want to correct us on that one, please <laughs> feel free. She ends the article really awesome too like that last paragraph john wanted people to take teens seriously and people did the films are still taught in schools because good teachers want their students to know that what they feel and say is important like your teacher that if they talk adults and peers will listen i think that it's ultimately the greatest value of this film and why i hope they will endure the conversations about them will change and they should it's up to the following generations to figure out how to continue those conversations and make them their own to keep talking in schools and activism and art and trust that we care mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's a nice way to like put it i think because it's yeah. like at least we're having this conversation mm-hmm. where i honestly and you know i'm i consider myself at fault here I guarantee you and I are on this podcast theoretically three years ago. Oh, it would be a completely different conversation. Completely different conversation. Not even three years ago. Like literally a year ago, this would be a completely different conversation. You're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, this article would not have been written. Um, Yes. You know, and then everything that's happened in the culture. I mean, this has been a complete paradigm shift or at least I hope it is like here's hoping it sticks, but um I would probably be able to be more articulate about this a year ago than I am about it now because I still feel so much like I'm processing like all of this stuff that has happened in the past year that has just been absolutely bonkers in both the best and worst ways. And one more quote from this. <laughs> she says, As I can see now, Bender sexually harasses Claire throughout the film. When he's not sexualizing her, he takes out his rage on her with vicious contempt, calls her pathetic, mocking her as queenie. It's 
uh, it's rejection that inspires his vitriol. I was only vaguely aware of how inappropriate much of John's writing was, given my limited experience and what was considered normal at the time. I was well into my 30s before I stopped considering verbally abusive men more interesting than the nice ones. Wow. Yeah. That one, like, sent wow. chills up my spine when I read that par- like the, the end of that paragraph. Thankfully, it didn't take me into my 30s before I realized that. But, like, these are things that, that happen slowly over the course of our lifetimes that, like, change. I mean, that's what's been so interesting about doing wistful thinking is, like, revisiting this stuff from childhood or, or from our youth and realizing that, you know, your lenses have changed entirely. And, like, sometimes things are just as good as they were when you were a kid. Sometimes they're better than they were. Sometimes uh, they really do not hold up. And it's like kind of horrifying to kind of examine like the messages that we've gotten, you know, over the course of our lives through so much of this art that we consume. I am, I'm not grateful that anyone has had to get sexually harassed or assaulted in the ways that, uh, so many people have written so eloquently about in the past year or so. Um, But I am so glad that people are finally starting to talk about this stuff because like, it's one thing to talk about it among women, which we've always done, but not to the extent that we're doing now and involving other people in those conversations and not just talking about it behind closed doors and like in whispers and those whisper networks that, you know, have been, so talked about in the past year. So I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. It's complicated. No, but, but yeah, it's complicated, but definitely well said. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, well, I don't know how long Joey's going to keep this server up, but, <laughs> but I mean, someone might listen to this in five years or even a year be like, what were you guys talking about? You know, or like, Oh, that was the start of something, but it's, you know, the breakfast club is banned now or something. Not, I hope not in a year, but you know, like, we- Oh God, you know, honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. They're going to ban all the John Hughes movies, light them all on fire. It's amazing that like so much changes. And, and I, I hope you're right. And I think you're right that like, hopefully, I mean, this change definitely seems like it's for the better and, and I hope it'll stick. You know, it, it's changed me. It's changed the dialogue. And like I mentioned, like, this is a completely different conversation. And I, I think you're right. I think even a year ago, this is a completely different conversation about this film. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to completely trash the film because of it. Trust me, if this film, if I watched it and I just did not get a reaction and I thought it was complete, you know, bullshit because of the way things were were portrayed or done or even that scene, I would not have a problem killing The Breakfast Club despite it being like one of the most beloved American films of all time. But I get why it is. I I really do. I mean, this this is like a capital G, capital F, great film, you know, that will go down in history. Um... But so is Lolita. So is, you know, so many other Gone with the Wind, Further Ends of the Spectrum, Birth of a Nation, you know, like, mm. which was not not great. Kind of no. the KKK. Uh, might actually be responsible for reinvigorating the KKK. But that is regarded as a great film and, and a very significant film in film history. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it, like its content is okay. You know, this is not just a conversation that's being had in film circles, but also in other arts circles and in technology, although not as much as it needs to be, (laughs) 
it's not happening as much as it should be in technology, but you know, in all of these different industries and spheres. And so it's going to be like ongoing work of figuring out how do we reconcile pretty much the entire Western canon with the <laughs> fact that like all of these artists were ultimately human and fallible as human but does that make it okay that you know picasso beat his wife and was a horrible womanizer and whatever even though he changed art forever you know so it's like this just ongoing kind of dialogue that we need to have as the culture changes as attitudes change about what is and is not okay and i think continuing to talk about these things is more important than just saying like oh this movie is full of things that are inappropriate and so no one should see it no sh no one should watch it and like locking it away forever yeah i know that's a good way to put it too no we we don't want this movie not to be seen of course i mean i think i think the best way to see it is what you said you know mm -hmm. kind of like taking taking the good things out of it and feeling those real things but also understanding like the characters in from a a different perspective but one thing molly brought up in the i call i'm calling her molly like i know her but one thing i mean but she makes you feel like it though yeah one thing one thing she brought up in the article though is like this movie has had a very positive impact on mm -hmm. a lot of teenagers and people who watch it and i would argue that unlike birth of a nation this film certainly has more of a positive impact for sure yeah, than oh, a yeah. Negative Th there's impact. a lot of really great things about this movie and about you know that that trilogy of uh, Molly Ringwald movies and you know she talks a lot about uh, queer people coming up to her and saying this you know these movies saved my life because I was able to see that there are other people like me out there who are struggling with identities, feeling out of place, and and so forth and i think that's so important especially for teens when things are you know it's just this horrible combination of like hormones and everyone just trying to figure out how to be a person in the world and everything just feels so intense and terrible and important and actually none of it is important you know uh, but it like feels so intense and oh, so yeah. i think it's it's so important for kids to see that characters who are you know outcasts and others and whatever that they have a place in the world too um if for no other reason than to just like sustain yourself through being a teenager until like you reach the other side of puberty oh yeah no i mean that's something that the, a unifying thread in a lot of the good high school films that i've been watching is that the ones that are able to convey how much a little problem means to you when you're that age. Like yeah. something we would see now as like, oh my God, that's not that big of a deal. But yeah. it's devastating, you know, <laughs> when you're that age. And it's just, I don't know if it's perspective or what, but it's like, this is one of them that you really like, like feel it when you watch mm -hmm. it, like the impact on these characters. So it, it, it definitely achieves his goal, its goal. What are there any other uh, fun scenes or notes you had that you want to talk about? Hmm, let me see. I really like Molly Ringwald's outfit in this movie. 
I really just like it's this like just really pretty and sophisticated outfit that I like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is ruined or not, but uh, John Hughes like was not happy with the outfit that the costume designer picked, so he went out and went to like the Chicago Ralph Lauren store and yeah. bought the outfit himself. Interesting. Well, he's great <laughs> taste. I think the yeah. gloves are a great. They're a great touch. B- Bender also has gloves. Maybe that. Maybe we should have known that they were going to be meant to be together. Yeah, glove buddies. <laughs> oh, the uh, when Allison is like drawing that picture, and then she like shakes her dandruff onto the page and makes it all snowy. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. Apparently, that was achieved by sprinkling Parmesan cheese onto the mm, paper. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Easy one there. <laughs> oh, okay. So I had heard the Parmesan cheese thing that you mentioned it, but so they just sprinkle it on the paper. She didn't put it in her hair first. Yeah, I don't think so. Hopefully. Not. Ah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I th- I think I kind of want to discuss Brian a little bit. Okay. Not that because my name is Brian, because I don't know. Like, I guess I would relate mostly to the Brian, but I wasn't that smart, <laughs> or like I didn't have that much pressure on me so that makes me a very worse brian i guess (laughs) (laughs) so i'm just bad brian but um i i used to be like that like i used to have that more of that kind of frame and i definitely i definitely feel for him well because because for whatever reason you know bender ends up with claire andrew ends up with allison and he's not like sad about it but he he's he's just like this movie kind of very much puts him as being like an uncool nerd, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if to, I'm not sure if today that it would translate the same way. I don't know. Maybe I don't, I'm not in high school, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to imagine that it would like when Mark Zuckerberg is like the richest person. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, like these uh, titans of technology. Uh, the nerds are running the world now. Um, and I, I say that as like a card carrying nerd that like they're running the world now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it's true. It doesn't like that's not a character today that I think we're saying nerd. Right. And yeah. you or I don't mean it offensively at all. No. No, you know, it's like not a, not, something not a that like a lot of people proudly identify as, you know, it's just I, because nerd culture is so much more mainstream. I think also it's not as, you know, like I'm sure nerds still exist in high school, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these like outcast weedy kind of kids, but they can go on the internet and find a bunch of other dweebs that have the same extremely specific interests that they do or go to Comic-Con or like whatever, you know? And I think that's something that I don't know. Cause I get so in my head about teens and social media. And like, on the one hand, it's so great that these, that outsiders can find other people like them via social media. On the other hand, oh my God, I am so glad we didn't have Facebook or like Instagram or like any of these things when we were teenagers, because first of all, it's, it's seems horrifying for teens and, you know, cyberbullying and like whatever. But at the same time, I'm just so glad that there isn't a extensive photographic record of what I looked like between like, <laughs> fourth grade and at least 10th grade. 
Oh, man. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I'll agree with you there. Uh, oof, I am glad. I don't know. Like, it, it sounds terrible. I don't know if I want to see those photos. <laughs> I hardly took photos of myself in high school. Oh, I, yeah. I, no, me neither. You had to go somewhere and get them developed if you did. That's a good point. <laughs> Actual film. I had a lot of acne, especially early high school. Like, a lot. Of, like, I was the kid in school with the most of it. So I did not, you know, I didn't look at, I didn't look at myself in the mirror for like, well, that sounds really sad. But I didn't look at myself in the mirror for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> now you can't stop looking in the mirror. No, no. You can't. <laughs> everything, everything is a mirror. But like, uh, just to get topical, too, that reminded me, like, and you mentioned bullying. We should go over the reason that everyone's here. But the reason Andrew is in detention is... A classic bullying thing. Like, oh, yeah. So heartbreaking. This time I didn't feel as, like, uncomfortable. But the first time I watched this film, or one of the first times, I felt really uncomfortable listening to his story. Because I felt like that kid that he... That could be you. That, yeah, could be and very well would have been me in that scenario. Yeah. Um, I forgot. He names the kid. And what is he, like? tape his butt cheeks together or something and like yeah he taped his buns together <laughs> which if somebody said that i would be like you did what i like i wouldn't understand what they meant be like no have, like, hot cross buns or because that's not like a first instinct of anyone to do i wouldn't think. well i mean it clearly was here because he's like you know my old man said that he would pull these pranks so yeah and like that's the first thing he thought of <laughs> we were all pretty bizarre some of us are just better at hiding it, that's all. How are you bizarre? He can't think for himself. She's right. Do you guys know what, uh, what I did to get in here? I taped Larry Lester's buns together. <laughs> that was you? Yeah, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, they know how hairy he is, right? Well, when they pulled the tape off, most of his hair came off and some, some skin, too. Oh, my God. So the bizarre thing is, said I did it for my old man. I tortured this poor kid because I wanted him to think that I was cool. He's always going off about, you know, when he was in school. All the wild things he used to do. And I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room. And I'm taping up my knee. And Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. And he's kind of He's kind of skinny and weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about, about weakness. And the next thing I knew, I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him. And my friends, they just laughed and cheered me on. Afterwards, when I was sitting in, in, in Vernon's office, all I could think about 
was Larry's father. And Larry having to go home and, and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation. Fucking humiliation he must have felt. Must have been unreal. I mean, how do you, how do you apologize for something like that? There's no way. It's all because of me and my old man. God, I fucking hate him. It's like this, it's like this mindless machine that I can't even relate to anymore. Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is for shit. Win, win, win. You son of a bitch. I mean, that's the thing that's like, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking that this happened to someone, and it, like I'm sure it was extremely traumatizing for that kid that doesn't actually exist. It's also like especially heartbreaking because like you see how much shame Andrew has around it, and it's compounded by the fact that like this isn't even something that he wanted to do, really. No, I know. Oh, yeah. And that it just it feels so awful. Yeah, and again, like, I, I felt it this time, but the first time I answered so it was just, like, overall, just, like, a lot of anxiety there. Also, just thinking about it, too, like, I mean, it's not the most easygoing place to be in a locker room, well, any time, but, like, as a teenager. Yeah. And, like, Andrew, Andrew takes advantage of him at his most vulnerable time. Yeah. And like you said, and he he's heartbroken by it too. He didn't want to do it. But it's like overall, like this that oh, that shouldn't happen, you know? But also like the locker room for him is a safe zone. Like that's, that's a good where point. He, he feels comfortable. Well, I imagine, who knows, maybe it's a hellscape for him too. But like <laughs> you know, like it's someplace that he probably spends a lot of time and it feels a lot more at home than this other kid who probably for those of us who weren't particularly athletic in high school, like the locker room is a terrifying place. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that, that's a really that's a really good point too. He's and it's funny because I think a lot of these things, a lot of their punishments would be worse today. And Andrew Andrews is one of them who's at the very least be suspended. Oh yeah. I mean I hope so. You Perhaps know, but even who knows worse. because yeah. he's an, he's a star athlete, you know what I mean? <laughs> true. True. Claire, what she I think she skipped school to go shopping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bender, God knows what he did. That's something dumb, probably. Oh, he pulled the fire alarm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was his thing. I like, I keep forgetting her name, Allie Sheedy Allison. Just, she just was bored that day. Well, she says that, but she also at some point reveals that she is a compulsive liar. So, Ah, I never even thought of it like that. You're right. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah, who, who knows? Because I, I was thinking like, wouldn't wouldn't Vernon like be like, hey, <laughs> like, uh, I was only supposed to have four of you, not five. Or <laughs> yeah, because like he's so strict supposedly about these things that you would think he would know that. So some sort of manifest. 
I would never. I didn't think about that till you brought it up. So that's true. She probably did do something. But um, I don't know if you remember Brian's thing. Oh yeah. Uh... His is one of the most heartbreaking of all. And this is these are these scenes that really touch you, and they're so real. So yeah. Brian brought a gun to school because he was. You know, contemplating suicide, you know, because he felt a lot of pressure from home and for the grades. But he take shop class and he wasn't getting mm-hmm. the grade he thought he would get in there. Because he thought he, he took it because he thought it would be easy. You don't understand. You don't. You're not friends with the same kind of people that Annie and I are friends with. You know, you just don't understand the pressure that they can put on you. I don't understand what? You think I don't understand pressure, Claire? Well, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Do you know why I'm here today? Do you? I'm here because Mr. Ryan found a gun in the locker. Why'd you have a gun in your locker? I tried. When you pull a fucking trunk on, it's the light's supposed to go on. It can go on, I mean. What's the gun for, Brian? Just forget it. You brought it up, man. I can't have an F. I can't have it. I don't know my parents can have it. Even if I ace the rest of the semester, I'm still only a B. Everything's ruined for me. Brian. Brian. Considering my options, you know? No, killing yourself is not an option. Well, I didn't do it, did I? No, I don't think so. It was a handgun? No, it was a flare gun. It went off in my locker. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> yes, it is. So I spent a lot of time in the art room in high school, um, and I had an independent study one year during an art one class. And so there were a bunch of kids who signed up to take art one because they're like, oh, I would like uh, color with crayons and it like won't be hard and, (laughs) you know, whatever. And my art teacher uh, was a really like a real hard ass about that. She was like, no, this is like not going to be an easy class. So I was like really salty about kids who like sign up for something that they're not familiar with thinking it's going to be easy. But I do, I do empathize with his inability to make an elephant laugh or an elephant <laughs> lamp. What is an elephant lamp? I think it's just like the body of the lamp is in the oh. shape of an elephant. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if there was like a special thing. Regardless, like as you know, it's such a heartbreaking story. Yeah. That doesn't forgive him. Bring- I know it ended up being a flare gun and that's kind of like the joke, but it doesn't like forgive him bringing like a gun to school. I, I-, I guess that wasn't as big of a-, a thing back then. I'm not sure. Uh, uh. Uh, 
that it certainly did not happen with the regularity that it does today. Yes, the unfortunate regularity. But it's it's something that, I mean, that happens today. Even if he was contemplating suicide, he's still probably suspended or at the or probably expelled even. I would I would think so. I would hope so. Like <laughs> bringing a gun to school is not cool. No, no, definitely. Even if it was a flare gun. Cool. No, something even if it's a flare gun, if you brought probably a toy gun to school, you're probably going to get yeah. expelled these days or something along the lines of a very very heavy suspension, not not a Saturday detention. It's still like I feel like as somebody who's, you know, gone through um, a close person committing suicide. It's uh, like it's 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 just his story is just so heartbreaking. Again, he you know he didn't do it obviously, but that's probably not something that's going to go away. And I can no, only imagine not. it's going to get harder for him going yeah. forward. So I wanted to read uh, the final essay that they write because it's obviously not a full essay. Um, for sorry, I'm looking it up. Well, while you look that up, the theme song, as you mentioned before, don't you, parentheses, forget about me, <laughs> my simple minds, uh, was written for the film by a man named Keith Forsey. And it was a number one hit for Simple Minds. Uh, but Billy, both Billy Idol and Brian Ferry, I don't know who that one is, uh, turned down offers to record it first. Although in 2001, Billy Idol did record a, don't you, parentheses, forget about me, as a bonus track for his greatest hits album. Uh, the song was also turned down by Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, Ooh. who then suggested they offer it to the band fronted by her husband at the time, Simple Minds. I did not know that. That is cool music trivia. I like yeah. that. Although I would love to hear a Chrissy Hind version. Yes, that would be great. See, at least Billy Idol had the wherewithal to be like, oh, I screwed up. Yeah. Let me just give it to you anyway, eventually, many years later. Please, Chrissy Hind, get on it. <laughs> Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And we see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Don't, 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 don't. Okay, so I found this essay. <clears throat> Are you ready? Mm -hmm. This is kind of not how the movie ends, ends, but how it sort of ends to that song. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. What we did was wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But we found out that each one of us is a brain, and an athlete, and a basket case, and a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely, yours, The Breakfast Club. I mean, that's pretty much the gist of the film. Yeah. What, um... What do you think the significance, not significance, or what do you think, why do you think it's called The Breakfast Club? It might be an easy answer, but... Uh, it's called The Breakfast Club because John Hughes' friend's son, who went to some 
high school in the Chicagoland suburbs, uh, they called their detention the Breakfast Club. Oh, okay. Well, you, then you answered my question because I was trying to figure out that. I'm like, they eat lunch in the film. Um, I know they're there early. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. It's 7 a.m. Can you believe we used to go to school that early every day? Because... <laughs> I, I think about that sometimes. It is unimaginable to me at, at this time and at, at that time too I was like this is crazy like I cannot function at this at this time uh, look this is not something I want to really get into here but I'm very confused how the American school system it starts at 7 a.m. and ends at 3 where the where the average worker works 9 to 5 you know what I'm saying like oh yeah I know what you're saying. I made these exact same arguments when I was in high school. (laughs) I feel like even maybe it was on the, I don't know, some sort of standardized test that we took, PSATs or something else. There was an essay question that was like, write a persuasive essay about like, what time school starts or something like that <laughs> because i felt very strongly <laughs> that we should not have to be at school that early cuz it is bonkers but this thing is this detention is 7am to 4pm which is longer than school hours yeah i don't know did you ever get detention as as a youngster somehow i managed not to i don't i was like a secretly a bad kid (laughs) i did all the bad kid things but i tried not to get caught and for the most part i did not so thankfully i did not ever have to serve detention pretty good pretty good i did have to serve detention i almost got away with it until senior year i got into a fight with a kid much smaller than me so i'm a dick for that but it wasn't (laughs) I was a captain on the cross-country team, which is not cool, but uh, he was a younger kid, and the coach was sick, and the coach kind of put me in charge of the distance runners, and he didn't want to run his race, and he wanted me to put... Wow, I'm like the Andrew here. Jeez. (laughs) He wanted me to put a, a... time on that he ran and I knew that he didn't run it and that there was a lot of witnesses so I thought that was unfeasible so I just said if you're not going to run your race I'll just tell the coach you're not going to run your race he wasn't going to be kicked off the team or anything it was winter track and it really wasn't that big of a deal and honestly the coach would not have cared if he didn't run the race I could have said he was sick or something but the kid got very upset with me and he started Threat, like the next week he started yelling, not yelling, but really saying obscenities to me and to my girlfriend at the time. And they were a tad inappropriate and sexual in nature. And I got upset with him and I like shoved him or kicked him or something. And he went to the principal and said that I had been bullying him the whole time. I was able to, you know, because I had witnesses that he had made those comments. So, but I did strike him and I shouldn't have I apologize so we both we both got detentions we both got five detentions I believe or Ugh, something that's so lines. many detentions yeah Isn't but it like wasn't like after school or yeah it was oh, like okay. you had to go after school for like an hour oh, you know? okay. so it wasn't like this thing you know yeah <laughs> like I, I that's why I don't understand why uh, Vernon assigns uh what's his name Bender that many detentions like does he really want to see him for the rest of the school year like does that give him pleasure yeah, like I don't know <laughs> I, I think it's just like literally the only 
mechanism that he has to try and control this kid. You know what line I, I like or thought was interesting, though, from, from Bender? He's, I mean, not from Bender, uh, from Vernon, and he's kind of talking about it with Carl. He says something along the lines of, like, you know, he's trying to, like, build the kid's character or something like that. And he says, like, these kids are going to be the ones who take care of me in the future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's freaked out about that. What did you want to be when you were young? When I was a kid, I wanted to be John Lennon. Carl, don't be a goof. I'm trying to make a serious point here. Carl, I've been teaching for 22 years. And each year, these kids get more and more arrogant. Oh, bullshit, man. Come on, Vern. The kids haven't changed. You have. You took a teaching position because you thought it'd be fun, right? Thought you could have summer vacations off? And then you found out it was actually work. That really bummed you out. These kids turned on me. They think I'm a big fucking joke. Come on. Listen, Vern, if you were 16, what would you think of you, huh? Hey, Carl. You think I give one rat's ass what these kids think of me? Yes, I do. You think about this. When you get old, these kids... When I get old, they're going to be running the country. Yeah. Now, this is the thought that wakes me up in the middle of the night. That when I get older, these kids are going to take care of me. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, wow. Well, like, well, that's, that's also like a sobering and interesting, very interesting moment. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think we've tied all loose ends here in the Breakfast Club. Well... I guess before we rate it, how do you like how this ends with the Bender freeze frame? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I mean, it's iconic, whatever, but I hate it. <laughs> that apparently was improvised. Yeah. <laughs> but now watching it now, that's like confirmation that he's the real winner here, which that's, we don't, that's not something I was rooting for on this watch. Yeah. It's so iconic, but it's so... It's so silly. But how many times has it been replayed and parodied? Like a million times. So. I also hate that he's wearing that earring that Claire gives him. First of all, that's oh. very unsanitary. It's oh disgusting. yeah. What is the deal with that? Like, wh- I've I never even know. heard of that. Like, oh, you know what? We had a good time here. Because again, just to backtrack a little, the whole crux is like, are we going to be friends on Monday when school starts? You know, we've had such a great time today, and. For a while, that just is like, no, it's just going to go back to normal, which I tend to think it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering um, what is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? No. So, so on Monday, what happened? Are we still friends, you mean? We're friends now, that is? Yeah. You want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. I don't think so. With all of us or just John? With all of you. That's a real nice attitude, Claire. Oh, be honest, Andy. If Brian came walking up to you in the hall on Monday, what would you do? I mean, picture this, you're there with all the sports, 
You know exactly what you'd do. You'd say hi to him, and when he left, you'd cut him all up so your friends wouldn't think that you really liked him. No way. Okay. What if I came up to you? Same exact thing. But I guess later it implies that, like, Andrew and Allison are going to date. Or maybe one date. I don't know. Yeah, that seems unsustainable. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say so. And that Bender and Claire are also going to be an item because she gives him her, like, diamond. Diamond stick. earring. Her diamond yeah. <laughs> What? Like, what? I have no idea. <laughs> Even like, hey, maybe we'll hang out tomorrow would probably be better than. Oh, wait. Did she say that her dad got her those earrings? Oh, maybe. Or he, he maybe Bender says, like, oh, did your daddy get you those earrings or whatever? Probably. So imply that they're a gift from her father, and she's going to be using Bender to piss her father off. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you, yeah, if you bring home a guy wearing an earring that one of your parents got for you, they're not going to like it. Uh, no. It doesn't matter who that person is and then add to it you know that he's from this different social class and he doesn't have any social skills it appears uh you know yeah and he's an all-around asshole you know (laughs) Um, so no that that's i guess that's not gonna go well and are we supposed to feel sentimental about that if that's really the reason Oh, I don't know. I, I don't. It, I don't like the way that this movie ends. No, no. Um, it's not a ideal ending. Again, for me, it really, it really hurts to see Allison get the unnecessary makeover and then be recognized. Yeah. By uh, Andrew, but whatever. I don't know, but I feel like at first Andrew's kind of like, because he says, um, "What happened to you?" Like, kind of in a way that's like. I liked you better before, but then he says, like, oh, you look better without all the crap on your face, so who knows. But I I would love it if she, you know, has the makeover, she, like, goes to Andrew, and he says, you were beautiful the way that you were, you know? Or, like, whatever. I don't know. I'm a woman. So if, if we make this, the, we remake this uh-huh. live on ABC like they do things. <laughs> the musical? No, yeah. Yeah. Mu- a live musical on ABC. That's how we would rewrite it because that would be great. Yeah. And then he bursts into a rousing rendition of Christina Aguilera's Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the music. <laughs> so, oh, I honestly, I started asking this question an hour ago, and then I don't know what happened. <laughs> I forgot. But so, so John Hughes said that he would wanted to make a movie every, a Breakfast Club movie every 10 years and see yeah. where they were at in their lives. Where do you think they would have been at, at the very least, in 10 years? So 1994. Mm, before I answer that, did you read that IMDb trivia piece that... Apparently there was a scene cut from the movie where the janitor was taught was telling the kids where they would be in the future, and he said that like Bender would uh, die by suicide. No, I did um, not. Okay, what? yeah, let me pull this up because <laughs> right, I, I found it really interesting, and also uh, the Ali Sheedy's character would be a, a great poet, but no one would care. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. Which that made me laugh really hard. Ads. <laughs> just 
for your consideration ads popping up all over the place. Here we go. go. Okay. Carl predicts where the five kids will be in 30 years. Bender will have killed himself. Claire will have, quote, two boob jobs and a facelift. Don't love that. Brian will have become very successful, but die of a heart attack due to the stress of the high paying job. Allison will be a great poet, but no one will care. And Andrew will marry a gorgeous airline stewardess who will become fat after having kids. Also don't love that. Whoa. It's so misogynistic. So much of this movie just like is ugh. that didn't make it into the movie, obviously. But um Good. Good. No, I feel like Claire would be like a senior editor at some fashion magazine. That would make sense. Yeah. Maybe not ten years after this, but like sometime in the future. Um yeah, Brian would probably be like some sort of Silicon Valley billionaire. You know. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I don't know if John Hughes knew it, but he's right at, like, a good time for that. Oh, perfect time to create a Silicon Valley billionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Who else? Let's see. I think Allison would be a great poet and no one would care. (laughs) Yeah, that one was good. That one was fun. It really nailed it. Um, Or she would be Julianne Moore in The Great The Big Lebowski. (laughs) Andrew, yeah, he would probably be... You know, married, have a couple kids, be working a dead end job, and talking about his glory days wrestling <laughs> in high school. Andrew definitely lives in the same town, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's definitely a townie. Um, and Bender probably has gone to prison a few times. I'm not going to say, I don't know if he's like Bender seems you know. too like. Or maybe he did, he joined the Air Force, cleaned up his act, and now he works at the Apple store. <laughs> maybe, hopefully, and he's like, a, he's like a good guy now, but, yeah. no, but I don't know, I don't think Bender would have killed himself like this guy. No, I don't think so either. It's weird that that line was in there. Somebody might kill him, but. Yeah, see, that's a different story. Or he might, you know, die in like a drunk driving accident or something like that, but not hopefully like. Hopefully not killing anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, probably, I mean, look, John Hughes ended up not, you know, like, more or less retiring from active directing pretty early, and he passed away. He wasn't too old when he passed away. No, I think he was in his 50s. Yeah, so it ended up not coming to fruition. Anyway, and he didn't want to have Judd Nelson back anyway, and I don't know if, I don't know how that would have turned out. I'm not a big fan of, like sequels all the time but it would have been interesting it would have been interesting and i think it would still be interesting for the five of them to get together and write something like for their characters and like just put it out as like a webisode or something Mm, yeah i don't think we're using that word anymore but um, (laughs) you know like just do some sort of like digital short of like a high school reunion or something like that Romy and Michelle's breakfast club reunion. <laughs> if you wanted to, though, like, get more, like, art credit, do an off-Broadway play. Yeah. <laughs> Say everyone's coming back. That thing would be sold out wire oh, to instantly. wire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's not a bad idea. That That's pretty cool. Like, I, I mean, I would go see that. For sure. I mean, I would see if they did another movie anyway, but it's amazing how this is, again, so iconic and it hasn't been remade or it's been parodied, but it hasn't. Um, yeah, but like the the IP might be tied up in some sort of like legal 
bullshit. You know what I mean? I think that they could make bank if they remade this, but... Maybe. Maybe it's something yeah. along those lines. Maybe the Hughes estate doesn't want to... It doesn't want to release it or whatnot. So I can't find it in my notes, but do you know or remember the one song that they're like really dancing mm. out to? I'll, I'll have to look it up. It's, I don't know. There's a lot of dance numbers. <laughs> yeah, more dance numbers than you would expect. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So we usually rate our films on a scale of one to five. And I hate when people ask this. Obviously, five is the best and one is not. You know, not the worst, but but no one says let's rate something on a scale of one to five, and one is the best. That's that's a ranking. That's different. But regardless, so five is the best. But is there anything in this movie that you would like to rate this on, like a scale of what? Mm, a scale of shaken up Coca Cola cans. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so on a scale of shaken up Coca Cola cans, how would you rate? The Breakfast Club. I'd put it at like a 3.5 or a 4. That's solid. That's solid. Reasons. Um, all of the reasons that we talked about. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I think that it is, it's so iconic and it's um, really effective in uh, just about everything it tries to do. I think the performances from, like there's no one in this movie that's phoning it in. Everyone's doing a really good job. 100%. So... I guess, why is it not a five? All the reasons we talked about. Uh, <laughs> all the sexual harassment and, like, other kind of gross misogynist stuff. And because Emilio Estevez doesn't know what smoking pot is like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to give this a four, a four and a half, which is pretty high yeah. for me on the uh, shaken can, shaken Coke can scale. And this could be a five to me if it didn't have all the things we talked yeah. about, you know, that really knocks it down. It temp I'm tempted to knock it down to a four, but I'm going to give it that extra 0.5, the half can for it, its timelessness in terms of like, this is not, it's not timeless in like everything in the film, but in terms of it's. It's a very important film to a lot of people mm -hmm. growing up. So that that's where my half point comes in. Because I, it's this is an important film. It's one of the more important films we're going to talk about on this podcast. So, Kara, thanks so much for coming on and talking about The Breakfast Club for a long but very fruitful time. We got into some important things. Yeah. Some fun things. So, I mean, we've talked on the... This episode even about wistful thinking a lot, but if you want to plug away your show or whatever else you're doing in your life. Yeah. Uh, so check us out, Wistful Thinking. Find it wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or at cageclub.me with all of the other wonderful podcasts on the Cage Club podcast network. Uh, sometimes <laughs> my mouth stops working, but... Um, I also, I had another podcast that I haven't really updated in a while called In Sickness and in Health, which is about uh, chronic illness and disability and fun things like that. Uh, find that also wherever you get your podcasts and at insicknesspod.com. Uh, you can follow me on all of the social medias at BIMPS, B-I-M-P-S-E. And uh, yeah, so do that. 
or whatever or don't that's fine <laughs> cool yeah i saw you were speaking somewhere or something or oh yeah i did a, a storytelling show recently with uh, a nonprofit group that i work with a lot called suffering the silence uh their whole mission is about leveraging the arts to build awareness around issues related to chronic illness and disability and kind of build community within that um so they do these storytelling shows i did so I did one in New York at the end of May. Yeah, end of May. Um, and at during February up in Vermont. I just, I have been trying to get over extreme stage fright. And my Wistful Thinking co-host, Jordan, who is a performer, tells me that if I just keep doing it, eventually I will stop blacking out and like leaving my body or trying to <laughs> uh, Sonic the Hedgehog roll all the way out of the room, like as soon as I get on stage, uh, that is not, haven't been able to get there yet, but I'm hoping that if I just keep doing it eventually. Apologies for calling you up cold Turkey on PSI love Hoffman live. Oh God. It was so horrifying. It was fine. <laughs> Everything was fine. Except it just like total alarm bells in my entire body. Going off. <laughs> Well, but you came back and you, and you created one of the greatest moments of the event, I think. Did I? When we were able to, well, you brought up Peter Pan being the original fuckboy, which I believe that came, <laughs> that came on uh, um, Wistful Thinking that where that was discussed. And I yeah. always call Kyle Peter Pan. So it was a good, it was a <laughs> good bantering moment. So I do, yeah. I do appreciate that. And again, thank you for coming to that. And thank you for coming to my slumber party. And Yeah, this was fun. So we'll definitely have you back on in the future. Cool. Good night, Kara. Good night. So have you learned anything? Did you learn anything? Good. I thought so. So maybe next time you can try to do your homework assignments. And that starts with getting John Cusack not to block us, people. Should be easy. I don't know. Just ask him. Okay. Detention over. I can't stay mad at you guys. You know I love my slumberers, my slumber club. Big thanks to Kara. I mean, we chatted up the Breakfast Club for a while. I really appreciate it. She was great. I thought it was a great conversation. There's so much to talk about with this film. We talked for like two hours, and yet there's like things that I'm listening now. I'm like, oh my god, we didn't even mention that. We didn't even mention that. And I think we covered a lot. One of the things was, uh, I mean, I guess there's not much merit to it, but the I remember the scene where Claire puts her lipstick on using just her cleavage. I guess it's a it's a fancy trick. I've never tried it. Maybe I should. But anyway, make sure you check out Kara on her show, Wistful Thinking, which is on the Cage Club Podcast Network, of course. That's cageclub.me, cageclub.me. And listen to all the other great shows. We got a lot of good shows and a lot of good programming. I'm guesting on a couple shows, and I'll let you know about that in the coming weeks. But check them out, and let me know. Let me know what your favorite Cage Club show is. Other than this one, which I know is your favorite because you're listening right now. But if you liked Kara on this episode, you're allowed to make Wistful Thinking your second favorite. Oh, speaking of Kara, she sent me this really funny meme. And I, and actually, I've seen it now, like, circulating. It's Breakfast Club related. It, is it meme or meme? 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 I, I don't know. Um, I'm one of these people who always thinks they're saying it wrong, but they're saying it right, or maybe saying it wrong. Who knows? Anyway, so it's like each Breakfast Clubber compared to social media, and I've seen two versions of this. The first version I've seen has Bender as Twitter, 
Andrew as Facebook, Allison as Tumblr, that makes sense to me, uh, Claire as Instagram, and Brian as LinkedIn. But then there's another one I've noticed circling around that has Brian as Reddit, so a little different there, Claire as Twitter, uh, let's see, Allison as DeviantArt, that makes sense, Andrew as Facebook again, and um, what's his name, Bender as Pornhub. So a little different take there, but they're both funny. I'll post both of them on our social media. Speaking of social media, don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere else you can follow me. I mean, if you literally want to follow me in the street, well, don't do that. That's probably not good. But uh, yeah, no, we post a lot of fun things and I like interacting with people. Send me a message. Drop me a line. We'll chat. I, I, I have time to chat, believe it or not. Oh, I almost forgot your homework assignment for next week. So the movie we're going to do is A Cinderella Story. Once upon a time, in a land called Los Angeles, there was a girl named Sam. Order's up! Who lived with her wicked stepmother. There's something I've always wanted to tell you. You're not very pretty, and you're not very bright. And her two evil stepsisters. You've got mail. Not yet. Secret admirer beckons. One day, she got an invitation. I need to know who you are. Please meet me at the homecoming dance. To meet her Prince Charming. I need you to mop the floors tonight. Fortunately, her fairy godmother appeared. Let me deal with Mrs. Potato here. Go ahead, girlfriend. Call me girlfriend one more time. Okay, sorry. From the Brothers Warner comes a fairy tale. Do you believe in love at first sight? I'll let you know. Let the rain That's not by the book. Okay, it's time to meet Cinderella! You are so dead! I'm Cinderella. I'm Cinderella. I am very upset about this. You don't look upset. It's the Botox. I can't show emotion for another hour and a half. Hilary Duff, Chad Michael Murray. Thanks. A Cinderella story. Uh, Hilary Duff, Chad Michael Murray, who could forget that epic couple? And my guest next week is old friend, uh, she's been on one episode already, and she was on a ton of P.S. I Love Hoffman, and that's Jenny O'Connell. Looking forward to speaking with her about Cinderella Story. So guys, if you haven't seen Cinderella Story, rent it, find it, watch it. You can't get enough of the duff, right? Oh, uh, by the way, I found that song that we were talking about, the dance song that they were dancing to in uh, Breakfast Club. You know the scene. If you don't know the scene and you've listened this far, that's kind of crazy. But it is Carla DeVito is the musician, and the song is called We Are Not Alone. So dance your heart away. Later, dudes. Do you grow?
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go.